Forge family, we finished chapter 3 of Ephesians in our study last time with Paul praying three specific prayers for the Gentile believers in Christ. In a flurry of emotion, falling to his knees, Paul cried out to the Father that he grant to those new believers the strength of Holy Spirit in their inner man, their inner woman. Paul longed that Christ might set up his dwelling place in their hearts, and that through faith. Second, Paul prayed that his new children in the faith might be rooted and grounded in agape love. He longed for their roots to go deep to anchor and feed them, and he desired that they be established firmly and permanently on the cornerstone of Christ, set on the bedrock of God. Third prayer was, Paul requested that they come to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, filling the new believers up with the fullness of God. So, for us as well, we too need to be strengthened in Holy Spirit. We need to be anchored and founded into and onto Christ. And finally, we need to be filled full of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as we finished the three chapters of teaching or, or doctrine, you know, those first three chapters of Ephesians, we ask you to stir us, to remind us of your grace extended to us, to equip us now as we begin the section of Ephesians that is for application. It's not enough to fill our heads, Lord. We want to be those who walk out truth, live out truth, Spread it abroad in Jesus' name. All right, family, turn with me to Ephesians 4 as we begin to, to look at verses 1 and following. I, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Here Paul begins to circle back to draw doctrine into practice to open doors by Holy Spirit to the new believers to begin to see how they live out their new life and their new faith. He entreats them, he begs them that they begin to walk out their faith. The word walk speaks of how we are to conduct our lives before God. And again, Paul reminds the readers that they are indeed called out from before time began to be saved, healed, and delivered, as well as being called out as adopted sons and daughters of the Heavenly God, Father. Paul longed for them to live out worthy lives in line with the great grace of God that they'd experienced. The word worthy is axios, and it means to be of equal weight, to live a life of equal weight or equal value to the calling and gifting is impossible unless Holy Spirit lifts, empowers, roots, and fills us up to be worthy. That is not something we do or even can do. Our reliance is on the one who called us. Verses 2 and 3 get very explicit about that manner of life that is to be lived worthy of their call. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance of one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Paul stacks up the results of the fruit of the Spirit here. The, The lifestyles of these believers were to be lived out with all humility and gentleness. The word humility is tapiforsune and means all possible lowliness, every kind of lowliness. That word was used by the Greeks for abject servility, slavishness, and groveling. Not so in the New Testament. Paul brought the word over into the, the text of the New, script, of New Testament, and infused it with lowliness of mind, a deep sense of our own smallness. Bishop Trench wrote, quote, The Christian lowliness is not merely modesty or absence of pretension, nor yet a, a self-made grace. The making of ourselves small in pride is the disguise of humility. But the esteeming of ourselves small, inasmuch as we are so, thinking lowly of ourselves, that much is true. That leaves us with a deep sense of our own moral smallness. This is followed by the English word gentleness, which in Old English was meekness, drawn from the Greek praotetos which is the willingness to accept less than our due as we see it. We receive God's dealings with us as good and without disputing them. It is first toward God himself, then toward, towards one, one another in Christ, then outwardly to the lost. The worthy walk continues with the word forbearance or long-suffering. The Greek word is macrothumia, specifically the patience with people. That means that when we are confronted with injurious people, those who by their words, their ways, their policies, and their blows dispute our, you know, they, they, they dispute and disrupt our peace, we are to demonstrate that special patience not to be provoked by them, but or to blaze up in anger. We are to bear with them, to endure them. And Half Moon Bay, outside the premier real estate office, owned and run by a Catholic woman and her family, there stands a sign that says, bear with one another in love. That is forbearance. Further, the new believers are, and... Us too. We're to take care to be at one's best, to make haste, to endeavor to keep watchful care over the peace, the peace, to safeguard the peace that is in our possession, that bond of peace that draws us together into experience, unanimous unity. And that unity comes with Holy Spirit. Dwight Pentecost tells of a church split so severe that both sides filed civil lawsuits against the other, disregarding the biblical injunction not to go to court against fellow believers. 
The suits were thrown out of civil court. Finally, the case ended up in a court tribunal, if you will, where they, with, um, that's where they belonged, okay? The decision resulted in one faction being rewarded with the building and the other withdrew and ultimately formed another church in the area. In the course of this proceeding through the church courts, if you will, it was discovered that the, dis- that the conflict began at a church dinner where a, an elder received a smaller piece of ham than a child sitting next to him. That was the root of the impasse, an absence of patience and forbearing, not to mention humility and, and gentleness. There's no soul-satisfying peace there. Verses 4 to 6 continue. Laying out the reality of what we are to walk into, live our lives intentionally into, for his name's sake. Quote, there's one body and one spirit, just as also we were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul begins with the body, the church, the ecclesia, both visible and invisible, both in the natural and the supernatural. Find yourself in the one body. Next, there's one spirit, one Holy Spirit. Granted, there are many spirits controlled by the enemy in our earthly sphere, but none are holy. None share the Godhead with the Father and the Son. There is but one who governs earth, Holy Spirit. Paul wrote that his readers and we too are called in one hope, which we we realize that the calling from God to us inspires. Then Paul focuses down to the roots. There's one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen one, seated at the right hand of the Father. No other Lord, master or kurios in Greek, can make such a claim, backed by evidence. As to the one faith, he writes about a common faith found in Macedonia, in Rome, in Philippi, in Antioch, in Jerusalem, in Ephesus, in San Carlos. Likewise, the members of the body in all those places receive the common sign of their faith, baptism. Now, there were seven references in the New Testament to baptism. The placing and plunging into is literally what it says. The first one is John the Baptist's ministry was one of the water one of water baptism for the remission of sins on a temporary basis. Second reference, Jesus submitted himself to be water baptized by John. Third, Jesus was baptized into suffering. Fourth, Israel was baptized into the cloud and the sea. And the fifth, sixth, and seventh references all deal with Christian baptism in water, Christian baptism into Christ, and Christian baptism into Holy Spirit. It is this last one. Baptism into Holy Spirit 
into the body, both for believing Jews and believing Gentiles that Paul refers to. Then Paul finishes this sentence with his referral to one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience. We are to walk as called to be worthy of all the above. In verse 7, Paul points out that, quote, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, note here that this gift of grace may be small or huge. For it's given to members of the body for service in the name of Christ. Some of us receive little. For the demand by the Spirit on us is small. Others receive a seemingly vast supply of grace for outreach, evangelism, teaching, and all forms of leadership. This gift noted here is for service, not general Christian experience. Now Paul takes on the record of God the Son, laying aside his God attributes and powers and taking on a human form. He descended from heaven to do so. Now there are teachers and scholars who believe that, there, that the next three verses are limited to the earthly experience of Christ. I, for one, believe that the next three verses include the unearthly experience of Christ. Dead, laid in the grave, awaiting resurrection, and then, then, having descended into the lower parts of the earth. See, here Paul speaks of Tartarus as the lock-up cell of fallen angels, and of Sheol, the holding place of the righteous dead, and of Hades, the holding place for the unrighteous dead. Verse 8 begins with a quote out of Psalm 68. Quote, Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Well, that's not exactly what Psalm 68 said. Paul changed the verses in Psalm 68, wherein the victorious king receives gifts. Here, Paul says, the victorious Christ gives gifts. Jesus descended into the depths of the earth, was resurrected. He snatched away the keys of death and hell and departed with a host of those who died in righteousness, who had been being held captive by Satan in death. Verses 9 to 10 elaborate on this thought. Now, quote, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And what were the graces, the gifts that he gave to men? There are four lists in the New Testament. Romans 12, 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10 and 12 to 30. 1 Peter 4, 11. And here, Ephesians 4, 11. We will look closely at the last reference in that list next time. All right, family, I'm proud of you all. Say it again. I'm proud of you all. As you're learning in our midst 
to walk worthy of the calling of Christ from some of our youngest members to those with gray hair. There has been a consistent focus of the quality of choices by faith that lead to unity and love. That is being played out in our families as well as with the gatherings of Ford's church. The centers of attention in our midst have been to raise up the next generation and, second, on being an influence wherever the Lord sets us down. Both are clearly evident. Both are laid before us. Keep going. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we cling to the oneness of our calling, our inclusion in the one body, our one hope in you and in the Father, the Holy Spirit as well. Continue to reveal to us the gifts you have given to each of us by Holy Spirit for the purpose of service. Thank you, Lord, that some of us may have ancestors lifted from death to life as you exited the captivity of death to ascend with them into the presence of the Father. We aspire to be with you in the same way and with them soon. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family. God bless you. We'll see you soon.